All right, students, let's review what we talked about yesterday when we got into the sphere of Mars. Recall that we are in Cantos 14 to 18 of Dante's Paradiso, and what we are talking about today is what we talked about yesterday, but we're going to progress a little forward from it. So we're in sphere 5 out of 10 of heaven, or Paradiso. It's called Mars. It is redder than usual, just like our Mars, which is why it is named Mars, because in being red, it looks like blood, recalls to us conflict. And as you know, red is the symbol of blood or conflict that gets appropriated later by the Christian tradition to become the blood of sacrifice and thus represents not simply conflict, but also which theological virtue uh, that Easter will soon be representing with purple or red scarfs along the cross? Charity. Charity. Very good. Charity is the idea. Here we will run into a guy named Cachaguita. We'll have him talk today. And we see also that the souls form a unity. A unity from a diversity. Two lines come together at an intersecting point, form a cross. Uh, almost as if two infinite things interacting or intersecting at one point in time is what everything is all about. You might say that that is a representation of sharing two perspectives, of two people sharing the same place, or of two infinite natures, like the divine and the human, coming together. In any case, it is a very powerful symbol. Uh, not to mention the fact that which line of the cross is unequal to the other? The answer is, of course, neither. Which means, which nature is higher in man? The divine or the human? Interesting question for Dante to be posing there. Uh, what is the, even the distinction between the two would be a very good question to think about in seminar. In any case, we moved through. We saw some good pictures, some nice art. Um, uh, William Blake, Gustav Dore, some primitivist stuff in the middle there. We heard some good quotes. We heard that there was a Christ at the center of this cross. We talked a little bit about what that meant, indicating that the cross might be the symbol for suffering and the fact that humans have consciousness means that of course you have free will but also that you must experience pain and suffering and the ultimate idea at least that dante has for what a holy warrior has done is that you willingly choose to endure your suffering to sacrifice yourself for something more than you or something you value higher than even your own life which seems to be the most profound idea we have related to sacrifice if there's a more profound one, I'd love to learn it, because that seems like a really good thing to know, possibly to embody as well. All right, we heard some music there. Recall the two words from it, arise and conquer, like the sounds of a trumpet. I mentioned the angel Gabriel to you and his role in the apocalypse. He sounds the trumpet that will bring the four horsemen who are pestilence, disease, death, and one other one I can't remember right now. Ah, uh, it is starving, starving. I forget what the P word for that, though, is. No, starvation. In any case, starving's pretty bad, as we know from Serenikia last year. All right. Silence is imposed, and then we started talking to Cachaguida. We heard that Cachaguida was the root to the leaf of Dante, indicating that if he is part of his family tree, and Cachaguida is a root, and the roots develop first, and the leaves develop last, or just before the flowers, then it must be the case that Cachaguita is the great-great-grandfather, or at least the direct ancestor of Dante. And so, this is where we will start today. Dante is very proud to meet his great-great-grandfather. 
He's very happy to see him. Not only is Kachaguida known to have been a crusader from the Second Crusade, and so an excellent man worthy of heaven in Dante's esteem, but also, and I'm forgetting it actually, the, but also here, Kachaguida is his great-great-grandfather. He is in heaven. Dante is very proud to see him, especially because of his rank within heaven, because of his deeds on earth. And so what Dante does is he shows his respect. And he shows his respect through language. And to show respect through language is also to show respect through act, because to speak is to act in a certain way. And so what he does is he uses what is called the second person formal, the voix form in Italian. We have the exact same form in Spanish. It is called the, as you know, vosotros form. Very rarely used, indicating that people very rarely are what? Respectful, that's right. That's right, and whether that is something that is lost within our culture or not is very much an open question. Uh, just because you do not have to do something does not mean it is a thing not worth doing. <laughs> in any case, the other characters we've seen who have received this respectful address have been Farinata, because of his rank as a Ghibelline, Brunetto Latini, his former teacher. These are, of course, still people who are in hell, and so still, excuse me, still worthy of some respect, apparently. Pope Adrian V, we saw him in Purgatory. Guido Guinizelli, we saw him in the same place. And then, of course, Beatrice as well. While, <laughs> while Dante is heaping praise on his great-great-grandfather, so happy to see him. Ah, yes, and the second thing I was going to say earlier is he not only likes Cacciaguida because he was a crusader, but because he represents a better time. Just as Virgil came from Republican, uh, then imp Empire or Imperial Rome, and represented a time of greatness to Dante, so does Cacciaguida represent a time of greatness to Dante. And, well, what is it that makes a time or a place great? The walls, the laws, the dirt under their feet? It's the people, of course. And so Cacciaguida represents what Florence could be. And as he is the ancestor of Dante, he represents what Dante could be. He is an inspiring sort of individual, well worthy of respect. And so just Cacciaguida describes first when he speaks after, oh, and I should mention this, while Dante is heaping praise on Cacciaguida, it's very interesting, his guide, Beatrice smiles very politely at him, and I just very much like this cue. Dante's a master of saying this sort of thing. In fact, he'll, he'll speak very, uh, I think, perfectly about the change in color or hue between Mars and Jupiter. He will describe it as someone who is, or a maiden who is blushing, losing her blush, as the changing of color from red to pale. And I think that's very interesting. In this case, Beatrice smiles very politely at Dante while he continues to, to compliment, over-compliment Cacciaguida. And what does that smile mean exactly? And why is it a polite way of, admon of admonition or of expressing an admonition to Dante? Well, the reason is, is because what she's saying is, you're coming on a little strong. You're, you need to rein it in. Just a little bit. Rein it in. You're giving in to your desires just a bit too much. It would be like if you met, say, a rock star or a movie star that you thought was, you know, that you thought was a star that you were inspired by and you thought was incredible. Somebody that you might want to bow down to and say, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Like Wayne and Garth when they meet Alice Cooper in Milwaukee. 
And <laughs> any of y'all have seen that movie? It's not exactly a good movie. Funny movie though. Wayne's World. Hmm. Not very Dante's. Maybe it is. In any case, I just wanted to mention that Beatrice says, pull it back a little, pull it back. Very much like a teacher, very much like a teacher. Does she say that with her words or with the expression on her face? And does Dante then understand? And is that in a comment on teaching requires an underlying relationship so that you can teach somebody something without even words? And are your greatest lessons ones that you learn, not through words? Very interesting question. And so, Cachuita describes first. Dante's and his direct ancestors, then former notable families of Florence during its glory days. This recalls to us, of course, very much what Anchises talked about to us with Aeneas in book six of the Aeneid, though this is a retrospective rather than a prospective at this moment. Meaning what? Cachuita focuses on the past or the future. The past. Anchises focused on what? The past or the future? The future. And you might want to ask, why is it that one speaker might focus on the past and one on the future? And I'd say this, people focus on where the greatness or the good times are. And this even happens to people during the courses of their life. When you're young, when are the good times? They're all in the future, of course. So what do you always want to talk about? The future. And so if you're in Pisces, if you're dead, and your son Aeneas is going through tremendous suffering trying to found a new people, you're probably going to talk a lot about the what at some point? The future, right? Because in the past, it's just Troy and a dead wife, Creusa, and your own death as Anchises. Very sad times. So you're going to want to focus on all the great things you're going to produce. And perhaps that's how it is even for you as young people. It was certainly, certainly like that for me in high school. High school was a very tough time, tough time. So I thought constantly about the future, though I also thought often about the past because things were easier when I was younger. Things were probably easier for you as well. That said, if Kachaguida is talking about the past, where does that mean the good things are? In the past. Well, that's a big problem for us, because what does that mean for our direct, immediate futures if we're Dante? That it's not going to be so good. That we're going to be like Aeneas, having to go, or Odysseus, going on a long, long journey full of suffering, and that is, in fact, exactly what Kachaguida says is going to happen for Dante. So... Ah, yes, and I will get to that in a second because I have a quote here for you. So, he concludes his nostalgic harking back to days of peace by saying, With these people and with others with them, I saw Florence enjoy such peace that there was nothing for which she had to weep. Sounds like a good time. With these people I saw her inhabitants in glory and justice so that the lily was never turned upside down on the flagpole. A couple of interesting things here. You see an instance of anaphora with these two tercets. The first line of each starts with, with these people. You also see an interesting notion here, the lily. The lily, we know is a funereal flower, but it is also the symbol, the fleur de lis of Florence. They are the flower of their people. That is what that symbol means. If you turn the symbol of a people upside down, that is a symbolic inverting of their values. In fact, if you are, say, a Christian, and you have a cross, and you turn it upside down, you become a, does anybody know which sect of the religion one becomes, who wears an upside down Christian symbol, an upside down cross? Yes? A Satanist, right. Which means what about what they're attempting to say 
by turning the symbol upside down, that they have inverted what values? Christian values. And so, if Dante is here saying that the lily of Florence was never flipped upside down, what never happened to them in times of peace, the glory days? They never forgot who they what? Who they were or what they what? Or what they stood for. Right. Because if you invert a symbol, you take a flag out of the ground and turn it upside down, you have to uproot it in order to do that. And that is the idea Dante has about what Florence has done to itself, and that is the idea that Dante has about the medieval institution of the Catholic Church as well. And so, very strange and interesting, too, that this holy warrior who is assumed immediately into heaven would not also be super pro-war. Because what is it that he elicits here as the ultimate virtue of civilization, as the ultimate virtue of a glorious people? What is it that he said his people enjoyed, even though he obviously died at war? Peace, exactly. Peace. And what was our hypothesis at the beginning of this sphere? That in order to have harmony or peace, one must willingly suffer for it. Is that what our hypothesis was? Well, who seems to agree with that hypothesis? Cacciaguida. And, well, he himself was a man who died at battle in order to attempt to preserve a world in which Jerusalem belonged to the Catholics. Now, did he do that or not? Nah, uh, not exactly. Not exactly, but that is what he stood for. That is what he lived to do. He fought and died for what he believed in. And it was the ultimate thing that he believed in. And perhaps that is the ultimate thing that any human can do, potentially regardless of what they believe. There probably is a hierarchy of things you can believe. If you believe eating donuts and killing rats with your time is a good use of time, probably that's not as good a use of time as offering charity to impoverished children or something like that. I think there is a hierarchy of how you can use your time. It's nonsense to say everything is relative. We don't act that way. We don't think that way. That's wrong. <laughs> All right, moving on. Dante notes that Cacciaguida can see contingent things. Very interesting. Even before they've happened, contingent things. That means things that still need to be chosen to do. So if I'm looking out into the distance and I think, hmm, tomorrow I wonder if anybody will be late. Well, if I'm... If I'm Farinata or Cachaguita here, I actually already know, even though the choice of whether to be on time or being late has not yet been made, which should arouse free will alerts in your mind immediately, which makes you think, how can you see the future if the people in the present haven't made the choices necessary in order to produce that future? And if you can, does that mean that these people don't actually have a choice at all, but will simply act in the way that you already imagined that they will, indicating that there is no such thing as free choice. Well, we will get a response to that. We will get a response to that in just a second. Actually, the, the response is, ah yes, it's right here. Lines 40 to 42 in uh, Canto 17. Cachaguida first explains that though God sees all contingent acts done, that it is man who makes them happen, but does not on that account become necessity any more than a ship which is drifting downstream drifts as it does because a man sees it. So he makes the claim that he, like God, can see a can see the future like how one can see a ship drifting down a stream, but just as a man 
only perceives the ship going down the stream and does not cause it to go down the stream, the stream just by seeing it. So does God not cause these things to happen? It is rather man that makes those choices. Uh, very interesting claim there. And so Dante says, well, even though this theological issue is pretty sticky and I'd like to get into it with you, I've been hearing some dark things through the Inferno and the Purgatorio, Farinata in particular, unlike Brunetto Latini, suggested to us some terrible things might happen to us. Banifucci as well. Things, things are probably not going to go well for Dante. He's starting to really wonder what does his future hold. There seems to be some darkness. And so since he is now with a father-like figure, the first father-like figure truly since Virgil left his side, he feels the trust necessary to really ask, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? And that, that, I think, is a very interesting question for him to have in heaven because he can ask any question. He can ask about the deepest theology and philosophy. He can ask about free will. But what is the question he asks right now? What does my future hold? And I think that that's an important question, too. Regardless of the great questions of philosophy and theology, you might be able to answer and shed some light on a practical question that you always need to wonder is, what's going to happen to me? Because who needs to be able to answer that question in order to produce the best possible outcomes in the future for themselves? You do. That's right. You have to figure it out. And if Cachuita is a representation of a symbol in Dante's mind that's subjected to the insight of his mind by Beatrice, then where is Dante going to have to find the solution to what he's going to do in the future when the future gets dark? In him, in himself, that's right. He has to find the solution for himself. And so, lines 49 to 96, Cachuia lays out Dante's exile. It's injustice, and popular opinion's injustice as well. It's not just enough for you to be exiled. People will spit on you and insult you and say that it was right for you to be exiled, too. That's got to be one of the hardest parts, because when everybody around you says you're bad, what are the two options? Either A, they're correct, or B, everybody around you is crazy. Which one is worse? <laughs> right? I don't even know. Which would you prefer? Everyone around says you're bad, and you are. Everyone around says you're bad, and you aren't, and they're crazy. That's a really interesting one. You'd rather be the bad person because then I guess at least you can fix it and you're around a bunch of good people. Because I guess if you're around a bunch of crazy people like Dante seems to claim, well, maybe being exiled is the best thing. Maybe being exiled is the best thing. In any case, he is also told something nice at the end, however. Even though his life is going to be terrible and he's going to know how salt and bitter the bread of another man is and how heavy are one's legs as they walk up the steps to another's manor, your life will stretch beyond the time of your death. And so you still might wonder whether he's told something bad or something good. He is certainly told that several bad things will happen to him, but what is the ultimate outcome of these terrible things? And what will happen to Dante's life, like the souls of all we have seen in Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso? What joined them all together? They were all what us? Famous! And so... What will this allow Dante to become? All these terrible things that will happen to him, this terrible exile from Florence. It will allow him to become famous. It will allow his name to stretch into eternity, to reach 
up to the heavens and the stars. And so you might well want to think about what makes a life good or meaningful, thinking about Odysseus and Aeneas and old Dante. Did they have so easy of lives? Did they all have opportunities to have easier lives? Possibly not Dante. What is it that they ended up choosing to devote their lives to and why? Let's now open to pages 424 through 426. I want to read lines 46 to 99 and then maybe a couple tercets on the next page. All right. As Hippolytus, this is speaking, was driven out of Athens by his implacable and perfidious stepmother, so it will be with you who must leave Florence. You all prob probably recall this, this story. It's very famous. Hippolytus' stepmother was named Phaedra. His father was the great Theseus who made it to the underworld but left his friend Pirithoos there. I'm actually lecturing on that in the Odyssey next period. And yes, I did tell third period that they need to step up, by the way. Hippolytus was accused by his stepmother of having tried to lay with her by force after she attempted to entice him and he refused her. There is no, what is it, what is that expression? There is no force like a woman scorned, something like that. There is no, hmm, I can't recall one of the words for that expression. In any case, it doesn't matter. And so this is known to have been a very unfair event. And so Dante's exile will be a very what event? Unfair, yes, because the fate of Hippolytus is that his father believed his stepmother and um, then set out to kill Hippolytus as Hippolytus um, attempted to escape, or at least how the Greek playwrights write it. He, he was caught up in the reins of his horses and got, like Hector, though while alive, dragged behind his chariot until he died. And so, that is what Dante is here being compared to. This is willed, read this with us, and is already plotted, and soon will be brought about by him who devises it, in the place where Christ is bought and sold every day. That is a, an indictment of Florence. It will, as usual, be the injured party which gets the blame. But when vengeance comes, it will bear witness to the truth which orders it. You will leave everything you love most dearly. This is the arrow which is loosed first from the bow of exile. I just want you all to think about what it would be like to hear these words. Perhaps you have gone to a teacher before. You forgot a major assignment. And you said, what is going to happen to me? And they said, you made your choice. You're going to lose some points. You felt that terrible sinking feeling in your stomach where you're like, I'm in big trouble now. I made a big mistake. This is what's happening. The present is now worse than the past. Think about hearing these words in heaven from a great-great-grandfather who is telling you the truth. Can you deny what he is saying? No, it's definitely going to happen. And what do you hear? You will leave everything you love most dearly. Think about that feeling you would have in that moment. This is the arrow which is loosed first from the bow of exile. You will learn how salt, that means bitter, is the taste of other people's bread. 
how hard the way going up and down other people's stairs, and what will weigh heaviest upon your shoulders will be the evil and stupid companies which you will fall into, with which you will fall into the ravine. That's an interesting comparison, as if his exile is like being thrown directly into where? Where is a ravine full of stupid and evil company that we have been to? Hell. It is as if the biggest punishment is that he gets knocked away from good people and has to be around terrible, stupid people instead. Very interesting sort of thing to hear. One, we're at a school of choice. Very interesting. For they will all turn against you. Ungrateful, mad, profane. But shortly afterwards, they and not you will have to blush for it. Their bestiality will be proved by their proceedings. And it will be well for you to have stood aside on your own feet. They will be judged by their actions, he says. Your first refuge and your first entertainment will be the courtesy of the great Lombard whose arms are a ladder bearing the sacred bird. This is the so-called Con Grande de la Scala. This is the man who took Dante in. It was either him or his brother. So Dante has great love for this individual. He said, you were taken in off the street by somebody who then cared for you most charitably without having to. Perhaps you would find yourself utterly grateful to them as well. His goodwill towards you will be such that doing, which generally comes after asking, as between you two will be what comes first. As if he gives without making Dante ask, he gives to a beggar without the beggar having to beg, which is a great thing to do. Which is a great thing to do, very interesting. In him you will see one who at his birth was so marked by this powerful star, Mars, that his performance will be notable. He is someone people have not yet noticed because of his youth, for nine years only, have these spheres circulated around him. Nine again. Remember, that's how old Dante was when he first met Beatrice and how old Beatrice was with him, though some commentators say she was eight because she was younger than he was. But before the Gascon has received the great Henry, sparks of his virtue will begin to appear careless alike of money and exertion. So well will his magnificence be known that not even his enemies will be able to keep their tongues from talking of his actions. Look to him and the benefits he will bring. Through him, many people will be transformed, changing their condition, the rich and the beggars. And you shall bear a record of him in your mind, but say nothing. And then he told me things incredible to those who will live through them. So now there are secrets that we cannot hear. Then he added, these are the clarifications, son, of what was said to you. These are the snares which are concealed by only a few revolutions. These will happen in the next few years. Yet I would not have you envious of your neighbors. Since your life will stretch far into the future, beyond the punishment of their perfidities. Perfidity is an excellent word. It means to betray somebody. It means to betray their faith. Turn to the next page. I just want to read two tercets to you. Dante is now speaking. One of six, I see clearly, Father, how time rides towards me to give me such a blow as hurts most, one who gives way to it. So he says, I see that I have to suffer. He is like Odysseus at Calypso's Island here. And so it is well to arm myself with foresight, so that if the dearest place is taken from me, I do not lose the others by my palms. He says, if I can have courage at the least, I can keep my place in the heavens. I can keep my place amongst the stars as becoming a famous person by recording that which I have seen. But if I lose my courage and I do not use my pen, I will lose not only my home, I will lose my eternal home as well. He can lose everything if he deals with disaster in the wrong way. He can gain everything 
if he deals with it in the right way. It all hangs in the balance. It all depends on what he chooses to do. Down in that world, which is better without end, than up the mountain from whose lovely summit the eyes of my lady raise me up. That's hell through purgatory. And afterwards through heaven from light to light. That's now I have learned things which, I, if I repeat them, will have a bitter taste for many people. And if I am a timid friend to truth, I fear to lose the life I may have among those who will call the present time ancient times. We actually call them medieval times at this point. But he seems to have been quite right. The light in which the treasure I found there was smiling, first began to sparkle brightly like a ray of sun caught in a mirror of gold. All right, that's all we have time for, and we know through definite signs.